0: All right. So we've been spending so much time in the Old Testament over the last few weeks. And um, and we've been supporting that on Wednesday night. So I wanted to do the same tonight, but with a New Testament text and for us to look at especially the words of Christ tonight, which are going they display and lay out the same things we've been seeing as we've been working through the covenants. Uh, So we're going to work through John 15 verses 1 through 12, and, uh, you know, it's Valentine's Day, and it mentions love, so it's relevant. Uh, (laughs) That's as close as you'll get from me for being like a relevant, seeker-friendly guy. Uh, (laughs) This is your Valentine's Day Bible study. Um, We probably won't even make it to those verses that mention love, but you know how it goes. Uh, (laughs) um, But what we're going to see is uh, this covenant reality that Jesus walks us through, in john 15 and abiding in the vine so i'm going to read through the first 12 verses and we'll dive in together so look along with me as i read i am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit already you are clean because of the word that i have spoken to you abide in me and i in you Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As a Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So, the vine and the vine dresser, the vine and the branches, and abiding and loving, so many practical things. So let's just jump in. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Okay? Pretty straightforward. Who is the vine? Jesus. Who is the vine dresser? All right, God the Father. God the Father. Now before we jump any further in here, what what else is often described as a vine in the Bible? Church, church. anything else come to mind? It's like the church is the church in some ways, Israel. So Israel, and in some ways, you can say the church, which in many ways are one and the same. Israel, in some sense, is the Old Testament church. The church, in some sense, is New Testament Israel, though there's overlap in both. Uh, But Israel is often talked about as a vineyard or a vine. Um, And it's no mistake that Jesus says he's the vine, because Jesus is the true Israel. He's the true, better Israel. And. Nope, that's in another uh, one of these. Does it? I may have left it out. It
1: doesn't matter, but.
0: Is it on my paper? Yeah,
1: but there, there's an implication that yeah. there, there could be a vine that's
0: not true. Right, okay, you're right. I left it out. I am the true vine. So this is what happens when people talk to me while I'm reading or writing on the scripture. Or scripture on the board. I am the true vine. So Whereas
1: Israel itself could be a type of vine. Right. Not the, not the
0: vine. And yes. And as we'll see, that's going to be crucial. I was thinking it repeats itself down here, but, uh, Jesus is a true vine and Jesus is a true Israel. And Jesus is the true, in a sense, the true son. Well, he's the true son of God, which is what the church is, right? We're the children of God. know we also say we're the bride of christ but just thinking our relation to the father uh so that true the true vine is important uh but all right so we're dealing with jesus we're dealing with the father then he says verse two every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit all right so what what do we think the branches are believers covenant members all right let's do that Stephen knows where i'm going he's anticipating so covenant members um, right so then that gets down to which covenant right so you're either in adam or in christ but you're both in covenant in this sense um We're dealing with a new covenant right now, right? This is Jesus laying out new covenant realities. So we can say new covenant members. Um, But this same idea is going to apply in the covenant of grace across all of Scripture. But I don't want to jump there yet. We'll go. But I think there's something to believers, like Heather said. So we'll put that. Well, no. So I think there's a difference because of these two words. In okay, me. Because sure. yeah. you can be in Adam and you're just one person. You're in covenant with God, but you're not in Christ. The next is, is right. Really We're going there. A fruit, a bit, be amount, much, right. Is there that I'm going to tweak your question and say how would we define a christian what is a christian so that's important for how you would answer that question well, I
1: think he goes
0: further into that yeah see y'all are all going too far that's just we one piece at a time <laughs> you heard johnny cash one piece at a time that's where we're going <laughs> all right so in me this ties to what Stephen's saying right covenant members and i'm saying New Covenant members, because that's who we are in Christ, right? Um, and in this context, we're in the Gospels. We're laying out the New Covenant um, and the realities of the New Covenant. But I'd see the New Covenant as tied to the Old Covenant as well. So there's, it goes together. But we'll get there. All right, every branch, so believers, maybe, maybe not. Christians, maybe, maybe not. Those questions remain to be answered. We'll go there in a bit. But definitely some kind of Covenant member, right? They're in... Christ so in me this is Jesus right so in Christ now this is scary because if anybody's in Christ that does not bear fruit he takes away so now let's deal with Andrew's question are there Christians who don't bear fruit well how do we define that are we defining Christians as those who are in Christ because Jesus just described somebody who's in Christ that doesn't bear fruit. So the question is, is this merely hypothetical or is this something that can actually happen? thing? Is she on this up? I would argue that have to the of not right. So this cannot mean cannot mean elect. So now we're given a category for being in Christ but not in Christ. <laughs>
1: Right.
0: Right. So, well, but <laughs> there's an invisible reality here that's there. He's still in Christ somehow. doesn't say is salvation. Amen. Right, which is what that's what Frank's saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's that's where you've got Romans 8 saying a reality like anybody is in christ therefore he's there's no condemnation for him well that sounds safe and secure in the arms of the lord that's where i think okay we're talking elect that's that's who that's meant to be towards here you've got a covenant reality and this is like what erica's getting at right so her children by their relation to her and you don 't have like you don 't have, have to affirm Pedo baptism to agree with what i 'm saying here right first corinthians seven fourteen lays out the same reality that the spouse of a believer and you guys may or may not have caught that i side eyed some of our spouses of believers who aren 't believers Sunday and just kind of you 're in covenant with God, live up to it you 're not your own you know but the it I was just kind of well, you know the kids were. The babies were crying out to God and saying, "Hey, we belong in here." And I had to, I had to kick it up a notch to override them, you know. Uh, (laughs) But so, (laughs) but thank God I had a manuscript because they were they were competing with me. But the there's a reality of a spouse of a believer or children of believers being in some sense holy, right? can't mean salvation because he says they're unbelievers. Right? So you have to be united to Christ salvifically by faith. I'm going to say covenantal branch. branch. Right? Which may or may not be the family or whatever. Right? So you could talk about the visible church like Stephen's getting at. Right? They're a member of a covenant body. They're professing faith. So this is why I'm going to say it may not be a reality that they were born into. It could be they professed faith, they got baptized into the body, whatever, but at the their heart of hearts they're not elect. Right? And so I I absolutely do not believe you can lose your salvation. But I do believe you can deceive yourself and think you're saved when you're not. Right, yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at. It's like there are people who are deceived who think they're saved that they're not. Stephen?
1: With my pear uh, tree, I've been having problems with fruiting, and I think there's a lot of tree that's drawing in a lot of nourishment from the main trunk. So what's obvious to me is that the branch in the middle needs to be taken out. By but I've also had issues with fire blight, which will kill a tree. So from there, you, you cut off different branches, and that will be more fair fruit. So mm-hmm.
0: Obvious, which Christians in the
1: church you need
0: to remove, and then time will reveal which Christians you need to remove. Because right, as in Christian knowledge. Right. So, so this this let's tie that to how do we define Christian? Well, we've got like Stephen's alluding to a visible reality of you have the visible church; those who are professing to be Christians or somehow united to the church in some way. Uh, But this I'm point I'm going to say there's more than just a visible reality because Jesus himself is saying they're in me. They're united to me in some way. Covenantally is what I'm getting at, that they are a part of a covenant body or a covenant family or both. And they therefore they are holy, set apart to the Lord with covenant realities on them. They are not their own. They belong to God. Therefore, they are to glorify God in their body. If they've been baptized, that's what that means. Right. That's, that's what that's telling them. Uh, That's what the Lord's supper is reminding them and, and on and on it goes. Uh, They have a responsibility to live up to what they're doing. So if you, uh, I'm going to be fancy. Hang on. I forgot. I got this on the other side. If you go to Matthew 16, the, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, the rock is Peter, but also his profession of faith. He gives the right answer to who Christ is. But I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this is typically what's referred to as a church membership passage. In Matthew 18, you have the counterpart of the church discipline passage, right? Um, if your brother sins against you, you go to him one-on-one and two and on down the road. And then it gets finally, then take it to the church. If they still don't listen to you, then you treat him as a Gentile or an unbeliever. You excommunicate him. And then he, re- he repeats the same thing about the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. So the the emphasis seems to be that binding is bringing into the church and loosening is excommunicating out. Church membership, bind. Church discipline, loose. But notice the language. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. The visible church reality is recognized in heaven to some degree. Right? That doesn't mean we save people. Right? But it does mean There's a reality that God recognizes what we're doing in baptism, what we're doing in bringing people into the church and the Lord's Supper or not allowing someone to take the Lord's Supper. Um, We are given that authority as a church to do that. Now, that seems weird. You're like, oh, we shouldn't be allowed to do that. But we just did it with these two. We said, do you? And Stephen said, I do. We said, Heather, do you? And she said, I do. And then we said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. But guess who said, hey, do you? It was me. And I was doing it as a representative of this church. Nothing magical happened. But God has recognized what we did in that moment through that wedding. Right? There's nothing magical about their rings or the unity candle they did or any of the vows for that matter. But it's just simply something that God has given the authority of the church to do. And that's the same thing here. Keys to the kingdom imply Authority, right? When I became the pastor, I was handed this this ridiculous amount of keys, and they're like, "I don't know, they go here somewhere. Good luck, you know. Like, just make sure the door's locked when you leave. Like, and that was like, uh, you now have authority, and if the door's not locked, it's on you. And and that's the same idea here. Keys are a symbolic representation of authority that we, as a church, have authority to bring people in, to put people out. We do it through the right preaching of the gospel and through the right administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Similarly, I think something's going on here that you have people who are in Christ in that covenant reality way, not necessarily salvifically. We want it to be salvifically, but that doesn't, just because you're a member of a church doesn't mean you're a Christian, like a born-again Christian. Just because you're a member of a Christian household doesn't mean you're a born-again Christian. It does mean, though, that in some way, you are holy. You are set apart for God. 1 Corinthians 7, 14. You have access to the Word of God, to the Gospel of God, to the people of God, to the sacraments of God, baptism and the Lord's Supper. You have all of this, and with that great... With all of that comes great responsibility, right? You're called to live up to that, which is why what you find Paul doing all the time is reminding you who you are in Christ, right? This is who you are covenantally. Live up to it. Be who you are in Christ. True Christians, the elect, will do that. Those who are not elect, they might seem to do it for a time. But time will show that it was false. And there's a chance they could fool even us for our entire life. But like the Matthew 7 reality that Andrew was talking about earlier, they will not fool the Lord, right? They can stand before Jesus and say, but didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do this in your name? And he says, I don't know you. Away from me, you workers of iniquity. Right. Right. that that agricultural reality is very important. I mean, obviously, we see that same language here with fruit, but you see the language again in somewhere you might not recognize it. In Romans 6, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, no doubt your mind immediately goes to Jesus was put in a borrowed tomb and he was raised from the dead. Well, that's, that's true, but that's not really being buried, right? The image there is the planting of a seed and an the springing up of new life, which is used in John as well, right? Unless the seed falls to the ground and dies. You know, it doesn't bear much fruit. John Calvin brings that out a lot. He says that is agricultural language. He's saying you have been planted into Christ through baptism. And the idea is you've been brought into the covenant community through baptism, right? It's not that baptism saves you. We immediately think that because we're saying he just said we were baptized into Christ. And being in Christ means being saved. That's the invisible baptism, That's the supernatural. I... I don't think so. I think he's talking about actual baptism. Interesting enough, a buddy of mine, I met with him uh, Monday. He uh, was telling me he sat down with Sinclair Ferguson and they were talking Romans 6. And he said, "What does Paul mean there by being baptized into Christ?" Or like Romans or John 15 and being in Christ and then falling away like what, what's he mean by being in Christ? Is that this invisible baptism, like with the baptism of the Spirit, or is it actual baptism? H- how can he mean being united to Christ that way? And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, Scotsman, he says, I think you know what it means, brother. You know, <laughs> and he says, it means being in Christ, you know, and just keeps pushing. And he, he says, no, it's, it's actual baptism. Like that's what he's talking about. And you're being baptized into a covenant reality and if you live up to that covenant reality you're showing yourself to be elect that's bearing the fruit um, but that's what happens through life through church we tend to like we microwave like we want it now we want to know now first john's going to tell us like you you know you have assurance when you're walking in faithfulness essentially for believing the right things huh? right yeah and i mean essentially first john is talking about those who are denying the resurrection or those who are walking away from the church are showing themselves not to truly be of us right they went out from us because they're not of us but those who are of us are the elect same idea here those those who are cast out and burned were not truly of us in the eternal sense but they are truly of us in the sense that in some form or fashion they are in christ covenantally right whether that's through baptism or whatever You mean baptism in the spirit, like being born again and regenerated? No, I I mean, I wouldn't. So (laughs) in some sense, you could say that because God's outside of time. But for us, no, like historically, you're going to be born again at some point, which will happen at any given point that God decides for the elect. But that's what your physical baptism is pointing to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not supposed to look at that for your assurance. You're supposed to look at, are you abiding? Which we got to get to that. We only got 10 minutes left. So let me, let me push forward. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you're, you're keeping us a verse. All right. So every branch in me it's covenant reality that does not bear fruit. He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We'll get to that in a second, that it may bear fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. So abide is directly tied to bearing fruit. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide? To dwell in, to stay in? Okay. You're just going on like like American dictionary definitions or Webster. well what I'm getting at do we see any definitions within this passage anything that's going to help us unpack it not what does this passage mean to you but what did Jesus mean (laughs) (laughs) so that's tied to our union with Christ abiding well if you keep walking right abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me I and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Keep that in mind. We're abiding in him. He's abiding in us. Um, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch. Okay, so now we see not bearing fruit and not abiding. If anyone does not abide, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. So this bearing fruit idea, that's got to be tied to abide. Right? We're getting the same warning put together. Uh, thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into a fire and burned um people will say Hell's just a metaphor you know well that's a pretty scary metaphor i won't know part of it <laughs> i already don't like heat i definitely don't want that heat all right if you abide in me and my words abide in you okay that's interesting language and it's similar to this ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you he doesn't mean that in the Joel Osteen way trust me uh, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples so that's tied to abiding this bearing much fruit as a father has loved me so have i loved you abide in my love okay now he's opening it up a little bit if you keep my commandments ooh there's two major ideas abide in my love keep my commandments All Right. So law and gospel reality, you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. All right. So how do we abide in his love? Keep my commandments. Right? All right. That's, that's, he's, he's breaking it down for us. Keep my commandments. You will abide in my love. Uh, love has a gospel reality, but also a law reality. The law summarize in the word love, love your neighbor, love the Lord, your God. Uh, The gospel shows us what love looks like uh, In a very real sense Christ loves us and gives himself for us Uh, You will abide in my love Just as I have kept my father's commandments And abide in his love So now we see, okay What did Jesus do? How did he keep the father's commandments? What kind of life did Jesus live? Sinless, perfect in every way Totally kept the law Lived a life of covenantal faithfulness That's the idea If you abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So it comes down to God's moral law and walking in faithfulness to God's covenant law and gospel. Right. My words abide in you um, and word like he's already talked about. um, Where did he say it? Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Well, what kind of word could he mean that would clean us up? Like a gospel word, right? Um, So you've got this law of gospel reality. And that's essentially what abiding is. Is you're believing the gospel. And out of that belief and that amazement of grace, you're seeking to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. To obey his law, which he's summarizing real simple for us. Let's just love me and love my people. Right? Walk in love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, is it is it obeying the law that cleans us up? No. His gospel word, which is, he is the word incarnate. He is the gospel incarnate. He is the grace of God incarnate. Jesus is what cleans us up. But we abide in him through covenant faithfulness, which is faith. But true faith, right? As we've seen with Abraham, Abraham obeyed by faith right, we think of faith merely as what we believe but what we believe has a direct effect on our life which is what Jesus is saying if you abide in me you will bear much fruit All Right? so a life that is tethered to Christ rightly bears the fruit of faithfulness we love the Lord and we love his people we seek to walk in obedience are you going to do that perfect? absolutely not which is why you need the gospel word that cleans you up. And it's amazing that he says you're already clean. Like it reminds me of, of, of Peter when Jesus wants to wash his feet. And Peter's like no you're not washing my feet. Don't do that. And he says if I don't wash you, you, you know, I forget exactly what he says. but Yeah, you have no part in me, right? And he's like well then wash all of me. And he's like well, yeah, but he's like no I'm you're you're clean but you're not clean you know and so it's like it's the same thing with us jesus told us to pray daily uh give us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us right so we're we're asking for daily forgiveness of our sins even while we're trusting that jesus his life his death his resurrection were sufficient to provide forgiveness for our sins but the forgiveness we need now Is about walking in right covenant relationship with the Lord and enjoying the fruit of that. What he says here, I want my joy to be in you, that your joy may be full. Right. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. The moment you have genuine faith, you're absolutely justified. It's done. But faith without works is dead. So there's a lot of people claiming to have faith who don't bear fruit. So he's walking us through like what you need is to walk in faithfulness. Yeah, right. And so abiding is the faithfulness. But you've got a reality of people who are somehow some way genuinely united to Christ. And this is where I'm going to argue covenantally, not salvifically. Right? They're in this covenant reality. And I know that a lot of people only have in their mind like you can't be in the new covenant unless you're truly elect. Um I understand we'll get there eventually on Sundays working through the New Covenant. But I understand they're looking at Jeremiah 31, they're looking at Hebrews 8, and they're seeing where it says, essentially all who are in that covenant will know me. Right? Well, I think there's a a covenant reality to that, that context that's going on that's talking about knowing God in a way that is not, that's different from the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you have the tabernacle, or you have the temple, and you have priests, and you have all these things you have to go through To be able to know the Lord in any way. In the new covenant. You have Christ. Who is all of those things wrapped up in together. And we have free access. To the throne room of God. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't need a high priest. Because Christ is our high priest. We all have access to God in a way. That the old covenant didn't have. right? So that's a, a sense in which we know God. In a way the old covenant reality isn't there. But also I think it's pointing forward. To the final day. When all of God's people will fully and finally be saved and will know him fully and finally, and he will be our God and we will be his people and the dwelling place of God will be with man. Right. So it's a already not yet thing that's being described there, because even now, <laughs> whether you're Baptist or Paedo Baptist, or whatever, everybody recognizes that Matthew seven reality, that we all have people around us who claim to be Christians, who on the final day, Jesus will say, I don't know you. But that covenant, that promise of the new covenant is saying, but they'll all know me. But yeah, those who really, really are elect. But that's not the reality that you see playing out in the covenant community. And that's okay, because that's how it's supposed to be until that final day when the goats and sheep are separated, when the wheat and the chaff are separated, all of those things that only God can do. So for now, we dwell together in this covenant reality, in the church in the covenant household, on and on it goes. But the, what you're working towards is you want covenant faithfulness, and covenant faithfulness bears fruit. And if it doesn't, they're going to be cast away, which ultimately means they will hear what the believer or what the professing believers heard in Matthew seven, who weren't actually elect. So you you have to have this reality of someone can be a Christian but not be a Christian. It's just muddy, I know. But essentially it's they are in covenant with God but that doesn't mean they're a born-again Christian. Right? So there's a reason why that language started being used. Because you could be a Christian or you could be a genuine born-again Christian which is the elect. But even then that's a scary reality because I guarantee you those Matthew 7 Christians thought they were born-again Christians. So you don't want to merely look at what you feel which is why i'm not going to bank a lot of stock in someone saying but i know the moment i was born again well i know a lot of people who have had quote unquote born again experiences that are buddhist and hindu and any number of things right we can deceive ourselves right paul talks about that he says even i can't judge myself fully and finally right god will judge me Um, but what we can judge is the fruit of our life. Are we walking in covenant faithfulness? So you you want assurance? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with God's word, which is ultimately loving God, loving his people, believing the gospel, like not doing those things for the wrong reasons, but because you're amazed by grace. So assurance comes from covenant faithfulness and walking in obedience to God's word, not merely our experiences, but notice walking in obedience to God's word. Part of that means his word abiding in you. So there are going to be times where you've totally messed it up. You've sinned horribly and you're saying, God can never love me. And you're going to not even be able to look up to heaven and you're going to beat your chest and you say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And your whole life says, you're not a Christian. Except for that posture right there. Because that's what Jesus says. That man goes home justified. Not the one who says, hey, I'm doing everything right. Look at me. I'm awesome. No, you have to have that humility of a Christian and the reliance on the mercy of God. And the word of God is abiding in you when you remember Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, even the foremost. Right. It's not because. All right. You're doing everything right today, so you have every reason for assurance. It's no. Are you taking God at his word today? Because his word says, simple childlike faith is enough to unite you to the perfect work of Christ, and therefore you're forgiven. Because on your best day, you are not outside of your need of God's grace. And on your worst day, you're not outside of the reach of God's grace. And you've got to find that balance on any given day. I want to bring this home in closing with what just happened with Micah. So Jesse and Amy, they'd been waiting for quite some time to baptize Micah because they were like, I just am not seeing enough fruit in his life. Now the boy was raised in a Christian household and raised as a disciple of Christ. He professed to be a believer, always. But he was mischievous. He had no problem giving Amy a very hard time. Right. And and he could get into some stuff. But I remember when my son, my youngest son was baptized. He said, how come Micah's not being baptized? I say, like, ah, his parents just aren't quite sure if he really gets the gospel yet. He says, what? Micah loves and trusts Jesus. So we've talked about that for years. I say, like, all right. <laughs> you know, so these kids and come to find out they really do have long, deep conversations. Some of them are on YouTube. But the. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't like Micah was saying, I don't want anything to do with your Christianity mom. Right. It was just, sometimes he was a bad kid. Like most kids are. And that was, that was like, they're like, ah, I just don't know if he really gets it, you know, because I don't see this level of love and, and affection that I want to see in him. You know, I want to, I want to see this born again heart. And I don't know. Well, then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And this is what I'm getting at. But then, then enter in troublemaker me. So then (laughs) I begin to have my convictions changed on baptism. And I'm talking to Jesse and Amy about this. And I'm talking to them about the reality of Micah being, being brought into a covenant household. And that's there, whether they realize it or not. Like he is holy to the Lord. He's set apart by God for him. Doesn't mean he's saved. He has a trust by faith. But he's claiming the trust by faith, right? And I was like, and you walk in faithfulness by giving them back to the Lord through baptism, raising them in a nurture and admonition of the Lord, which they've been doing that, but they hadn't baptized them or whatever. So they came to the point, they're like, you know, you're right. Why are we waiting to baptize this kid who is, you know, on his good days. He's walking very obedient to the Lord. On his bad days, he's not, but he's also just being a normal kid and he's not denying anything in the gospel. And we have no reason to question anything other than, we're just like, yo, oh, he's not holy enough yet. But then when we look in the mirror, like Andrew just said, neither am I. <laughs> and you know what? My sins are actually far worse than my kids because his are just little kids sins. And mine are full grown adult sins. And I know better. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just showing you, hey, here's what you've been teaching me, Dad. <laughs> right. But so they began working through that. and they're like, Yeah, you know, we really don't have a reason not to baptize them. So they baptize them. Well, then all of this happens and they're thinking, I'm so thankful that I gave my son back to the Lord and have been walking in covenant faithfulness all the way around, knowing that I can lean on his promises and not simply lean on. Did I see enough fruit of Micah's faith, but do I believe God's word and that God says he's mine? And we raised them that way and he wasn't rejecting it. And so we can rest in his good promises. We can rest in the fact that his baptism says he is not his own. He's been bought with a price. Therefore, he is to glorify God in his body. And he did that all the way, even through his death, saving lives with his body. And they have a level of assurance that is frankly shocking to me how faithful they've been through this. And it shouldn't be It's amazing to see how God's carried them through this but they're leaning on the promises of God, not on Micah's fruit, right? And that's the same thing with us. Our fruit is a result of our leaning on the promises of God. So it's not not that we get assurance when we're saying, how much fruit do we have? We get assurance from the gospel and believing it, but when we believe it, it bears fruit in our life. And so we rest in the truth, that God has a mercy on sinners like us who look to Christ. And when we look to Christ truly, we live up to who we are in Christ. And it's the same way it worked with Abraham. And as we'll see, it works this way in the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant. And it's the same reality in the new covenant. God has covenant realities. He has a covenant people. And those who live up to that covenant reality by faith bear fruit. And inherit eternal life and never perish. Those who rebel against it or fall away from it or whatever show themselves. So yes, never truly be elect. But they were genuinely a part of the covenant community. They were genuinely a part of a covenant family. They were in some way, in some form or fashion in Christ, though not salvifically. But the reason they're not is on them. Right. They're rejecting God's promises. They're rejecting God. The mercy that God is saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's what we're doing. We're resting upon God's grace in Christ. And when we do, it bears fruit in our life so that we will abide. That's that's the idea. Abiding is covenant faithfulness. And covenant faithfulness is faith that bears fruit.